hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Grizz Great's The Coaching Tree Podcast, a podcast highlighting all of the living head coaches of the University of Montana men's basketball team and quite a coaching tree it is. We're excited to bring you this podcast series. Ryan Tutel here as well as Colton Nuanas from ESPN Radio in Missoula. And Coulter, episode one, the oldest living member of the Montana Grizzly coaching tree, Jim Brandenburg. The University of Montana men's basketball team has tremendous and long-standing history, and, and the tradition of the program has been outstanding for nearly 50 years. And Judd Heathcote, he was the godfather, the guy that kind of laid the foundation for all the success that Montana's had since then, 14 NCAA tournament appearances, many Big Sky Conference banners, many Big Sky Conference MVPs. Heathcote, between 1971 and 1976, went 80-53 and 53 at Montana, led the University of Montana to Big Sky Conference championships during the 73-74 season. And then, of course, the memorable and, quite honestly, maybe most successful season in school history, 1975, when he led Montana to 21 wins, including a win in the NCAA tournament, a berth in the Sweet 16. Heathcote then left following the 76 season for Michigan State, Famously led Michigan State to the 1979 national title, one of the most memorable and historic titles in NCAA history. In the meantime, Jim Brandenburg, who had been Judd Heathcote's head assistant for the duration of his tenure in Missoula, takes over at the University of Montana. Jim Brandenburg, along with Pat Kennedy, who's the only member that's not a part of this coaching tree, the only interviewee not part of this coaching tree, the shortest tenured coaches of the 10 figureheads that we interviewed just two seasons at the University of Montana. Officially, Brandenburg was 6-20 and his first year, but that's because I believe 12, maybe even 13 victories vacated from the University of Montana for playing an ineligible player. But the following season, Brandenburg led Montana in 1977-1978 to a 20-win record, including sole possession of first place in the Big Sky Conference. Brandenburg then went on to the University of Wyoming, where he served as the head coach from 1978 to 1987. He won 176 games, four 24-plus win seasons, three NCAA tournament appearances, and an NIT runner-up in 1985-1986 season. Brandenburg finished his head coaching career at San Diego State. From 1987 to 1992, he led the Aztecs 52-87 overall. Brandenburg's overall record as a college head basketball coach, 254 and 213. He's the third winningest coach in the history of Wyoming Cowboys basketball, and he was inducted into the Wyoming Athletics Hall of Fame in September of 2000. Coach Brandenburg is now 84 years old. He lives in a retirement community in Texas. We certainly appreciate him taking the time to talk with us. ESPN Grizz Greats The Coaching Tree is presented in part by Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. Mike Nugent, Gary Bryan, and Mike Bryan are all big supporters of the University of Montana men's basketball team and Grizz Athletics as a whole. Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate prides itself on providing the community of Western Montana with full-time real estate professionals who are here for you whenever you need them. Their reputation as the state's most knowledgeable and available real estate group has helped build unmatched trust in the Garden City and around the Treasure State. And Mike Nugent from Berkshire Hathaway is a leader in the local real estate community. Mike is currently the sales manager as well as a realtor and broker at Berkshire Hathaway. He's also the past president of the Montana Regional MLS, the past president of the Missoula Organization of Realtors, and a Missoula native who bleeds maroon and silver. Mike's knowledge of the local community runs deep and his knowledge of the real estate industry is comprehensive. So no matter what sort of question that you might have, whether you're in the market to buy, you're in the market to sell, or you just want to learn a little bit more about what it's like to buy and own a home, 
Mike Nugent of Berkshire Hathaway is your go-to real estate expert. Mike Nugent, Mike Bryan, and Gary Bryan all understand the importance of history when it comes to the University of Montana, particularly when it comes to the men's basketball program. And so Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate is proud to present to you Grizz Greats, the coaching tree. At Berkshire Hathaway, they understand that buying and selling are huge decisions, and they always have your best interests in mind. So give them a call, Berkshire Hathaway, your local real estate experts. Please enjoy Grizz Greats, the coaching tree, episode one with Jim Brandenburg. Well, happy to be joined now by former University of Montana men's basketball coach and former Wyoming men's basketball coach as well, Jim Brandenburg. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time out. How are you? Doing good. You were a coach at the University of Montana in the 76-77 season and 77-78 as the head coach, but you were at the University of Montana with Judd Heathcote before that and even before that uh, at Flathead Valley Community College in Kalispell, but you played at Colorado State in the late 50s, mid-late 50s. So how, how did you get from Colorado State in the Denver area up to Montana? I graduated from Colorado State. And that was back when the draft was still active. And so I either had to go into the draft at, at the end of my graduation or sign up for ROTC before before that period of time. So I signed up for ROTC. So after I graduated, I went straight to officer's uh, candidate school and uh, became a, an artillery officer at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And so when I finished at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, I went back to San Antonio, Texas, where I grew up, and coached in a high school there in San Antonio, and um, had success there. Then I moved from uh, San Antonio to Denver, and I coached uh, at Aurora Hinckley High School for a number of years, and had success there, and um, actually had a high school All-American kid by the name of Mike Davis that played at Colorado State University. And so then from there, I was going to uh, finish my doctorate degree at, uh, at Northern Colorado, but got cold feet a little later on when I was offered a job at Flathead Valley Community College. So I took the Flathead Valley Community College job. They had never had a program, and so it was the, the first uh, program they had, and so uh, I'd recruited some players, and uh, we started off. We had to practice at night in a high school gym, and they never thought we'd get a schedule going, but uh, we got the schedule going. So tell us about when Montana first landed on your radar then, because I know you joined the staff in 1970, and that was sort of an abrupt turnaround because then all of a sudden uh, Lou Rochello, who was uh, a great player at Montana, he was over R- there. Rochelle, there you go. And he was he was a great player at Montana. Right. But then only the coach for a year, but then Judd Heathcote comes in. So tell us about just that time in your life when, when you, you join the staff at Montana, but then a head coaching change, and, and then this dynamo and Judd Heathcote comes in and takes over. You know, Judd Heathcote comes in and uh, kept me on as assistant coach, and, and so it's a real good combination. Uh, Judd was a tough taskmaster. Uh, a, a real good uh, fundamental basketball coach, and uh, I knew an awful lot about basketball and and knew a lot about kids and knew a lot about high school uh, coaching and coaches in the state of Colorado. And so uh, when I got together with Judd that first year, we had a decent team, and 
So then the next year, we still had a decent team, but, uh, uh, you know, I said, I said, Judd, you know, we need to start recruiting some black guys because, you know, we had a few when we, when we came there, but they graduated and says, I'll, I'll take care of the black recruiting. And so we got to the, the end of the recruiting season. We still didn't have another good black athlete in our program. And I said, well, I know where there's one. And, and he says, well, who is it? And I said, well, Michael Ray Richardson. He said, well, go get him. So, so Michael Ray Richardson then came to the University of Montana. So at the end of that year, uh, Judd went to Michigan State, and I had the chance to go with Judd to Michigan State or stay at Montana uh, with the opportunity to apply for the head basketball job. And fortunately, I got the basketball job. Tell us about what it was like recruiting Michael Ray Richardson. What did you? What did you? What was your recruiting pitch to him? First of all, when he was coming out of high school, you know, he played at Denver Manual High School in Denver, that were state champions and were perennial state champions, and they had they had some big guys on the team that were, you know, six nine, six eights that 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 caliber went to Kentucky or places like that, and so Michael Ray. I got overlooked and was recruited heavily by the junior colleges, but uh, not any of the major colleges. And, of course, I knew the principal at, at Manuel High School because he was a former coach there in the, in the Colorado area. And and so, uh, you know, I talked to the principal and so forth. And so he said, well, he said, you know, I, I think Montana could be a good place for him. You know, go talk to him and talk to his talk to his mother and, see what happens and so Michael Ray came up and visited the campus and uh, Judd wasn't uh, really fully ready for him to be offered a scholarship so Michael went back to Denver and and then he kept calling week after week after week and so then pretty soon uh, you know the recruiting season got to the end and Judd says, well, go down and sign Michael Ray. So I went down and signed Michael Ray Richardson, and he became a darn good basketball player for us. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, maybe <laughs> the best, maybe one of the best ever uh, at the university. Yeah. And uh, no, no, no question. And while he was there, and and while you and Judd Heathcote were doing it, the deepest run in the NC2A tournament in the history of the University of Montana went to the Sweet 16 in 1975. What do you remember about that season in particular and that tournament run? I remember it just like it was yesterday, to tell you the truth. It's in Portland, in Portland, Oregon, and, uh, you know, we had beaten a, a couple of pretty good teams. Uh, we had to uh, play in against uh, Utah State, then uh, beat uh, – I think Oregon, I think we beat Oregon State, and then we end up playing uh, for an opportunity to go into the NCAA, you know, tournament uh, or continue on the the NCAA tournament with UCLA, and and that's you know Wooden that was his last year, and and that was going to be his tenth you know NCAA championship, and so we just were wondering how we were going to do versus a, a team like UCLA, and we got into the game and. And, you know, we could play with them. And so, with about, I think with three minutes and 20 seconds to go, we're up three on John Wooden and UCLA with three minutes and 20 seconds to go. And uh, 
And, of course, this is a biased look at it, but whistle, 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 and put them to the free throw line. And, and so we went from a three-point lead to uh, losing the lead to UCLA, and so we had to get back and play and try to get into the game, and we didn't quite make it. And I believe we lost the game by three points. They went on to win the national championship, and we played them the closest game to anybody in the tournament. When you're getting a team ready to play a team like UCLA, I mean, that UCLA team was as dominant, as big of a juggernaut as sports have ever seen, not just college basketball, but across the board. Ten national championships for John Wooden, and that was the last one. How do you get a team ready for that? How do you not let intimidation be a factor as you enter that game? Because that team had more height and had more players playing above the rim than anybody we'd played on our schedule. You know, we told our players that you just can't penetrate and think you're going to be able to take a shot at the rim because it's going to come back at you. And so you've got to penetrate and kick it out somewhere. And so at the start of the game, I think Tom Peck, uh, he thought on the fast break, he thought he had a lay-in. And he, he goes in there for a lay-in and the ball comes back out, you know, like a like a rocket. You got blocked. And a couple more People took some penetration. We had to call timeout. And once we once we got them to understand that we had to play to our strength and not to UCLA's strength, then we started doing better. And then uh, somehow Eric Hayes caught fire, and he just he lit it up. I can't remember how many points he got, but I think he almost got 30 points, if I can remember. You can look it up in your notes to see just how many points he scored. But Eric Hayes had a great game. Ken McKenzie, you know, he held his own inside. And uh, our other players played well. And, and so we came very close to beating UCLA, who are the eventual NCAA champions. And so I think that we had one of the great teams uh, there at, at the university at that time as well. Grizz Great's The Coaching Tree podcast is brought to you in part by Blackfoot Communications. We know that we live in a day and age where security is as important as ever, and particularly online security, firewalls, data backups, and network security are all critical to the success of any business that you have. But we also know it's very complex, and your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions. From the perimeter to endpoint devices and remote data backups for businesses across the great state of Montana. Ensure your company network is online all the time, safe and secure with Blackfoot Communications. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. Of course, a couple of years later, Judd Heathcote would go on to coach at Michigan State and coach Irvin Magic Johnson to win a national championship there. But while you were together, what do you remember most about him, about coaching under him and what he was like both as a coach and as a person? He was a great basketball coach, had a great basketball mind. He was a good teacher, a very, very tough taskmaster. He was a phenomenal practice coach. And he uh, he had great game plan going in, but once the game started, if anybody remembers Judd Heathcote, you know he'd get into the game, the officials, and and so I'd have to sit there and, and tell him, well, we need to change defenses, we need to do this, we need to do that, and so you know we made a good team because of that, 
And uh, so that was a very special team. And when you took over then as the head coach, when he left and you got the head job, first of all, what was that like? How did that process play out where you, you know, obviously are on staff, but then were ultimately offered and accepted the head coaching job at the University of Montana? I was ready or more than ready to, to handle the job. And I'd been a very successful high school coach, so I'd had a lot of wins under my belt. And I knew how to recruit. And so uh, it was kind of a natural progression for me. You mentioned some of those great players like Eric Hayes and and Ken McKenzie, but Michael A. Richardson was a young guy when you guys played UCLA, but then his junior and senior year were were when you were the head coach. So inheriting a roster that had him on it. At what point did you – I mean, I know you knew that he was special even coming out of high school, but at what point did you realize that this guy was truly special, that this guy could go on to become a a top-five pick in the NBA draft and and, uh, an NBA All-Star? He had long arms, big hands, and loved to play basketball. And and, and in practice, uh, games, he played full bore. And uh, he loved to play and a good player. And he just kept getting better all the time. He kept getting better even when he got to the NBA, but then his his rise and fall was something that was uh, sort of public, and I know that's something that was hard for him and, and people that have been around him to deal with. So what did you think of just the way that his NBA career played out? I felt badly, and, you know, here, here was a young kid, you know, went, went to the University of, uh, of Montana from a high school there in, in Denver. You know, he just had a mother that was, I believe she was a nurse and worked all the time, so he never really had much much family to really, uh, you know, you know, give him some, some uh, solidarity. And he goes in the NBA, and so... He's drafted by the New York Knicks. Well, New York Knicks is a very, you know, fabulous, you know, pro basketball team in the biggest city in the country. And here's this young kid. He goes in there, and at the time they had, uh, uh, I forgot, I forgot who it was, but the guy was really an old coach. And Michael Ray was a young guy, and this older coach, uh, you know, he just kind of had the ways of the pros. And uh, Michael Ray was you know, 18, 19 years old, and the first year out of Denver and Missoula, Montana, and now he's in New York City, and they had no security, you know, watching those young players or anything else. And so Michael, you know, just got caught up in the the notoriety and the, the fame that he got early on as a, as a player in New York City, and his lifestyle just changed and just just uh, just destroyed him. Red Holzman, the coach uh, for the New York Knicks, I believe. Yes, it was Red Holzman. Yep. That is sort of the end of the story, but just his talent was so profound. And so where do you think he ranks amongst all-time Montana Grizzlies? Do you think he's the greatest Montana Grizzly of all time? It's not even close. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us some of the most spectacular things you ever saw him do, because when you watch the highlight films, especially from the NBA, I mean, he was just on a different level than almost anybody. What are some of the things you remember him doing in Montana? He was fantastic uh, with the basketball, you know, to penetrate and shoot the ball at all angles in and around the basket. He could shoot on the perimeter or, or the mid-range or, or at the basket because he had long arms and, uh, he was, and he was a great rebounder and he, he was a great defensive player. He had all the cards, and so in the second year, he's all NBA, all pro. It's unheard of. His adulation and uh, recognition in the city of New York, 
really got to him and they just didn't have the proper supervision with the professional team. And he just got outside of his boundaries and just got out of control and started drinking and and just got out of control and uh, traded him. And I think he went to uh, New Jersey, but he was on a downward skid and I just felt so bad for him. I couldn't stand it. I didn't know what to do. Definitely a difficult situation by all. When Coach Heathcote moved on to Michigan State and then a couple years later sort of reached the mountaintop, and it was a pinnacle moment in the history of basketball when Michigan State won that national title in 1979. Not only a great moment for Judd Heathcote and, and the Spartans, but the introduction of Magic Johnson to the world. And Magic Johnson and Larry Bird basically then entered the NBA and revolutionized the NBA. And the NBA, as we know it, owes so much to those two guys. But when Coach Heathcote led that team to the NCAA title, what was it like for you to just observe from afar? And, and were you surprised that he was able to reach uh, such a high height? You know, we did probably didn't get IQ tests like like you do in these days. But uh, I would imagine Judd was, was in a genius class mentally. He was a very, very smart guy. I knew that Judd at Michigan State would do very well if he had some good players. And, and fortunately, uh, when Judd went to Michigan State, uh, there was a high school senior right there in Lansing, Michigan, by the name of Irvin Johnson, Magic Johnson. And Magic Johnson's um, agent was also a, a guy that uh, taught that taught it at the university there. And he just figured, well, if, if he goes to Michigan State, I don't have to spend too much money every week. You know, just keeping him in my corner as an agent. And so... He got magic to stay with Judd at Michigan State, and the rest is history. Jim Brandenburg joining us. He's the head coach at the University of Montana in the 76-77 and 77-78 seasons after having been a longtime assistant under Judd Heathcote. And, Coach, when you took over in that whole time, really, in the 70s, what do you remember about Dahlberg Arena and coaches there? Because basketball was the sport at the University of Montana at that time and one of the more exciting venues in the country to play at. It really was, and, and uh, I remember it uh, when I was at uh, Colorado State. Back then, I heard a story that there was no dance team, no cheerleaders, nothing like that during game day atmospheres, but I hear that you and Judd Heathcote kind of instituted the idea of the Sugar Bears, which now, 45, 50 years later, is still a long-standing tradition, one of the great dance teams in all the Big Sky Conference. So tell us that story. Well, I'll tell you that story. The, uh, the person that organized the Sugar Bears was my wife, Jan. Didn't know that, did you? I did not know that. Yeah, she was the sponsor of the Sugar Bears. We had nothing going, and so, so you know, Judd and I talked about it, and I said, you know, we need something, and so my wife jumped right in, and we created the Sugar Bears. That's awesome. Tell us some of your other favorite memories of Missoula. What, what sort of things do you remember about Missoula? What were some of your favorite places to hang out, and what did you like, and what do you remember most about your time here in Missoula? I lived on Keith Avenue just uh you know, fairly close to the university and uh, in a wonderful neighborhood. I had two girls at the time that uh, were in school and they could get up and get on their bicycles and ride downtown. And it was a very quiet, peaceful neighborhood that we lived in. And, and, and Missoula was a great town. My family and I, we were very happy uh, there in Missoula and the University of Montana. Places that uh, that we hung out in, uh, not too many places. I think that Judd and I, we'd go down to, uh, oh, 
Well, we'd have hamburgers and that down at the Missoula Club, but uh, what's the one right up from that to where all of the college people went? Uh, they had a sign out in front, liquor up front and poker in the rear. Oh, maybe Stockman's. Stockman's bar. Stockman's, yeah, yeah, that was it, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and the so, things so never changed. Judd used to go play poker there all the time, and uh, but I was never... I, I never participated in the, in the card games. Jed was a great card player. I wasn't. I love how so many of these old Montana coaches have the same stories about playing cards in the back of Stockman's Bar, going to the Mo Club for some burgers. It's interesting how Missoula, as much as it changes, it still stays the same in a lot of different ways. We didn't have hardly any budget. And so when it came to the summertime, we couldn't do any traveling and recruiting because we had no budget. So, you know, when I was an assistant to Judd and even when I was a head coach, you know, I joined the country club, and, and that was a big change for us. I think I think the country club cost about six hundred bucks at the time to get in, and that was a lot of money for, for for my wife and I at the time. And but we joined the country club, and so you know I got to play golf every Thursday, and that was a fun time for my wife and I. We really enjoyed Missoula. Jim Brandenburg joining us, head coach of the University of Montana for two years in 77 and 78, and also a longtime assistant, a longtime Wyoming head basketball coach as well. And Jim, from a basketball standpoint, when you took over as the head coach, we know, of course, that you had Michael Ray Richardson, but what else went into being a head coach? Because those was your first time as a head coach at the Division I collegiate level. What was that experience like for you and, and, and uh, you know, the basketball side of it maybe that you didn't expect? That's one thing about coaching. You just never quite know what's around the corner. You just say, well, here we go. And uh, you just hope for the best and and try your hardest. And that's what we did. And we had some success. And fortunately, we we had some good young people that uh, were good people and, and, uh, and very competitive basketball players. And it gave us a chance to win. And so I was pleased with, with how, how it went. And I would have stayed at the university uh, because, uh, you know, my last year or two, I'd uh, hired Mike Montgomery as an assistant. But uh, the University of Wyoming came open, and uh, the University of Wyoming offered me so much more money. It was just like, you know, peanuts to riches, you know, because University of Montana just wasn't paying very much. I took the uh, the Wyoming job because it would just be better for my family as far as, as monetary, uh, monetarily in a long-term contract and all that stuff that they weren't giving at the University of Montana at the time. It was just year by year. Tell us about when you hired Mike Montgomery. How did he first land on your radar? How did that relationship develop? He was at Boise State, and so he was, uh, you know, he was a very likable, very, very nice, nice guy, and, and so I got to know him, and so when uh, when I got the head basketball job, he was still a grad assistant, so he he wanted to come on board. So I I brought him on as an assistant. So he was he was really good for the players. He was good for me. When I left Montana, you know, he was just a, a natural to succeed me there as the head basketball coach, and he did very well there as well. What was it about Mike Montgomery when, when you met him or you saw him in a basketball context that you thought, hey, this is a guy that I'd like to have on my staff? He's very likable. And, you know, right away you, you like him. And uh, he's a good conversationalist. Uh, he's, a, he's a smart guy. He knows basketball really well. And so, you know, he has, he has everything it takes. You know, 
knows how to recruit. He knows how to meet people, and he knows how to make friends, and he knows how to coach the game. So he he had all the tools. Did you feel he was adequately prepared then to take over for you when you went to Wyoming? Yes, I did. I thought he was very capable. Was that something that maybe gave you a little more comfort in making the decision to go to Wyoming after just two years as a head coach? I mean, I, I think so. I, I think that I knew that the the program would be in good hands. Grizz Great's The Coaching Tree podcast is brought to you in part by Blackfoot Communications. We know that we live in a day and age where security is as important as ever, and particularly online security, firewalls, data backups, and network security are all critical to the success of any business that you have. But we also know it's very complex, and your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions. From the perimeter to endpoint devices and remote data backups for businesses across the great state of Montana. Ensure your company network is online all the time, safe and secure with Blackfoot Communications. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. So then let's talk about your time in, in Wyoming. First of all, when you first got to Laramie, what was that experience like compared to then what you've been living in in Missoula for about a decade? Missoula is, is a fantastic place to live. Laramie is a little more desolate, you know, is, you know, high altitude, uh, much smaller community. But the university is, it was the only university in the state and it was well funded. So I had a much better budget to recruit with and I was going to compete in a more competitive league. Uh, in the Western Athletic Conference. And so uh, when I took over, the cupboard was, was pretty bare, except they had two freshmen. That, when they're still playing freshman basketball, I couldn't play varsity basketball. But So I spent most of my time that spring re-recruiting the two players that were there that were thinking about transferring because they did not have a very good year their first year there. And that was Charles Bradley and Kenneth Ollie. And Charles was right at a first-round draft choice right in that neighborhood. And Kenneth Ollie was also, in, in, you know, rated pretty high and, and drafted. Uh, and so I, I was able to keep them. And then uh, I knew a player down in Denver that I thought I could get, but I'd recruited him at Montana. So this is back in the old days of recruiting where you still – had some honor code, so so I called Mike. I said, Mike, I said, you know, we recruited this kid on on uh, Montana money, so I'll give you a week to sign him if you want to try to sign him. And if you don't sign him in a week, then I'm going to sign him. And so Mike didn't follow up on that, and so I, I signed the kid. And, of course, that kid was the first-round draft choice in the NBA as well, uh, Bill Garnett. Now that's an unbelievable story of ethics, Jim. You know, is that you think that still goes on? Was that huh. standard in the day that you would? No, say that wouldn't be. No, it'd be hell no. <laughs> <laughs> when I look back at it, I says, "What the hell was I thinking?" About? <laughs> no doubt. Well, there's so many different ways that college basketball has changed since then. But you mentioned freshman team. I mean, even back then. Not even Lou Alcindor or Bill Walton got to play on the varsity until they were sophomores. There was no such thing as this one and done. All that stuff was not for years and years. So what sort of challenges did that present? Most of the the players coming out of high school knew that they had to 
go to junior college or go to a four-year school and get some maturity before anybody would look at them in the NBA. But as the years progressed, the NBA started using the NCA as their uh, recruiting area, and so they would they would take you know kids right out of high school into the NBA, which back in those days they didn't. That's a different challenge for the college coaches today. Jim, when you were at Montana with Judd, you guys built the program, and it was really good while you were there, both as an assistant and as a head coach. When you went to Wyoming, you already alluded to this, but I think one winning season in the eight years prior to your arrival. So we understand all the reasons to go, but what made you think you could be successful at Wyoming? And because you know, running a program that's doing well compared to building a program are two very different things, right? That's true, but uh, you know, I had a lot of self confidence, and I think if you take a look at my my record at the University of Wyoming, uh, I made by far not even close to the best run of the coaches in the history of of Wyoming. The only one that surpassed me was uh, the first year that the NCA was in competition. The University of Wyoming won the national championship with Everett Shelton, so. I have to bow to second place with the, with the national championship team, but but in the modern era, my basketball teams at Wyoming have out excelled anybody even to this day. Well, I think second place uh, to a 1943 national championship that's pre- that's pretty good, Jim. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very proud of the record that we had at the University of Montana, and I'm pretty proud of the record I had at. Uh, Wyoming as well. Well, you're at Wyoming nine years, and like you said, a phenomenal run, uh, including that Sweet 16 appearance. And then from there, you went to San Diego State in the WAC uh, from 1987-88 till 91-92. What took you to Southern California and the Aztecs? At the time, I was on the board of directors of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, and college presidents were beating the war drums about uh, more restrictions and recruiting and taking money away from the athletic programs and all of that. So I'm listening to all of these these college presidents. And so so I'm coming back and thinking about our program at, at Wyoming and around Laramie, Wyoming, the only population of any sort whatsoever is uh, an hour away down in Denver or maybe a little more than an hour away down in Denver if you're going on the highways. And, uh, and so I thought, well... The black cloud of the presidential group continues that uh, my chances to be super successful at the University of Wyoming are not very good. And so uh, I thought that maybe taking a chance at uh, San Diego State, a big urban area, and uh, I was promised that uh, they would build a new facility for me and all of this stuff. And so I took a chance and went to San Diego State. And so I got with the athletic director there, and we we got it, the the bond issue passed through the student body. And so we had a brand-new facility that was ready to go. And so, of course, then my recruiting would have just taken off because at the time at San Diego State, we just had a little high school gym that we had to share with the women's basketball, uh, the men and women's volleyball teams, plus uh, PE classes, plus intramurals. And so so I, it was just a, a poor situation, and we had to play our games uh, oh, about almost an hour ride downtown 
to a downtown arena that we couldn't practice in because they had other things going there. So I thought, you know, that I could survive a short period of time with the recruiting to a new facility. But then the people around the, the university area put in a uh, lawsuit against the university because they did not do a proper research on traffic lighting and all of that stuff. I, I forgot the, the technical term for it. So they held up the building of that arena for eight years. And so the number of years after my first year it was kind of a downhill run because I just couldn't recruit. And uh, so a lot of it was my fault. I was kind of ticked off at, at uh, you know what I thought was going to be a a poor situation recruiting at, at Wyoming and thought I was going to move into a better situation. And that wasn't the deal. I would have been much better if I stayed put, but uh, went to San Diego state and, and took my medicine. And then, uh, and then I left basketball and never to go back. So that was the end of my story. When you made the decision to walk away from the game, what went into that decision? And, and what have you been doing then since 1992 when you did decide to retire from basketball? I went into the private business for a while, and uh, I was I was in private business there in San Diego uh, for a number of years after that, running a company there with some friends of mine there in San Diego. Uh, I had a good time with that, and then uh, retired from that. And then I, I came to uh, Austin, Texas, because my first child to have a grandson was my daughter, uh, Shannon and she lived in in Austin, Texas. So if I knew I was if I was going to stay healthy, I had to get my wife close to her first grandson. So, <laughs> so we so we moved to Austin. So we've been there ever since. And then of course my lovely wife died a number of years ago. And so now I'm getting older. And so my daughter Shannon has been kind of taking care of me. So do you still follow basketball at all? Oh yeah, I I follow it. I have problems with it because, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know. Of course, of course, the three-point line was in, you know, when I was coaching and all of that, and so we kind of changed some of our offense and defense for the three-point line. But in today's basketball, if, if there's an inside game somewhere, I, I'm not smart enough to see it. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, they just they just play on the perimeter. And they just try to dribble, penetrate, and pass, pass, and then shoot, and then just shoot and fall back. And so, uh, you know, I keep fantasizing what I would do if I were coaching today, and I think I know what I'd do, but it wouldn't quite be exactly what they do today. But I would continue to keep advantage of the three-point line. But I would have a, an, an inside game as well, or try to. So you you would try what would you do? I mean you try to exploit the fact that the paint's been vacated? Well, the thing about it is is that you know with with a lot of leagues including uh, you know the the Montana League right now is is there there aren't any really good big guys. The the, the game is played on the perimeter and when you get with the big boys you know like the Big 12 and all of this uh, you know, you play Kansas, you play some of these people, you know, they got tree trunks in the middle there. So so when you're recruiting, you've, you've got to have at least, you know, one or two big guys that can hold off another big guy in case that someone has one. And all the better teams have one. So 
I don't want to play in a program where I don't have a chance to win a national championship. So I'm going to have somebody can hold off inside, and I'm going to have some perimeter players that can stay in front of anybody they play against, and we're going to gang ring bound, and we're going to fast break like hell, and uh, we're going to play smart basketball at the other end and play at different tempos and make a particular tempo work for us against a particular opponent. Do you still follow the University of Montana? I do. I love the university, and I, I watch. I love to see their success. Yes. Have you gotten a chance to meet Coach Travis DeCure? I have not. I have not. I would like to. Uh, seems like a real nice guy, but you know, as coaches, every time we watch somebody coach, whether it's at the University of Montana or, or now at Wyoming, or if I watch uh, Michigan State or, or whomever. You know, as an old coach, you think, well, I can do it better. You know, that's just the way we're built. <laughs> Doesn't mean it can happen that way, but that's the way you have to think or you shouldn't be coaching. Well, it's been amazing to watch this Montana coaching tree evolve, even before I was even born, then to now. There's so much continuity in it, from Judd Heathcote to yourself, to Mike Montgomery, Stu Morrow, Blaine Taylor, on down to Don Holst. Larry Kristoviak, Wayne Tinkle, and now Travis DeCure. And all the roots lead back to Coach Heathcote and just the, the foundation for success that he was able to lay. So the fact that there is such a connectivity, such a continuity to this whole thing, how much credit do you think Coach Heathcote deserves for the success Montana's been able to experience in basketball over the last 50 years? I think he's at the root of it all. I think that uh, mentally he was, he was in the genius class. Uh, he had a solid idea of how to run a program, and uh, he helped solidify, you know, what I thought about running the program and helped ground me even more because I wasn't, you know, a long-time Division One coach at that time, even as an assistant. And so, you know, he he gave me some valuable experience from that standpoint. And once I was around Judd for a couple of years uh, before he moved on, I he asked me to come to Michigan State with him, or, and I, I felt like I should sit, you know, stay there and and become a head coach. Uh, but I was very appreciative to have the chance to to be around Jed Heathcote. He's a, he's a wonderful man, a great sense of humor. Always had a nice dirty joke to tell here and there when the women weren't around. Uh, but, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but when he moved to Michigan State to Final Four, if he wasn't playing in the Final Four, on Thursday night, he always had a get-together and everybody, all of his close friends and, and people that he knew, and, and then pretty soon a lot of other people come around, and they'd find a bar that was big enough to hold everybody, and then everybody sit down and have a few few beers, and then Judd would get up and would tell jokes for about an hour, hour and a half. And the place just would come down, just the, the, the roars and laughter just be unbelievable. We love it. Didn't well, know that one, did you? No, we no did that's not. new. That, that's awesome. That's a great story. Well, we'll get you out of here on this, Coach. What's the biggest takeaway you have just from a life of basketball that you've lived? That's hard to say, but my high school days were were fun, but my first journey really was at the University of Montana, so I'll always hold uh, my time at Missoula with heartfelt thanks. Uh, I enjoyed it a great deal. Missoula's a second home to me, truthfully. Well, Jim, thanks so much, man. Well, I'm, really, sorry, I'm we, sorry I talked your leg off. But, uh, oh, we love you it. This is what it. we live for. This is it. <laughs> 
we'll call back anytime, but I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your time, for the stories, and we enjoyed it immensely. Okay, guys, take care. This has been Grizz Greats, The Coaching Tree, Episode 1 of the podcast series with Jim Brandenburg. Again, our thanks to Coach Brandenburg for taking the time to speak with us. Be on the lookout coming soon for a bonus episode with players who played for Coach Brandenburg as well as Coach Heathcote being released very soon. Episode 2, coming out next week, will be with legendary head coach Mike Montgomery. Grizz Greats, The Coaching Tree is brought to you by Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. Mike Nugent, Gary Bryan, and Mike Bryan are all big supporters of the University of Montana men's basketball team and Grizz Athletics as a whole. Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate prides itself on providing the community of Western Montana with full-time real estate professionals who are here for you whenever you need them. Their reputation as the state's most knowledgeable and available real estate group has helped build unmatched trust in the Garden City and around the Treasure State. Gary Bryan of Berkshire Hathaway Montana Properties is a fierce supporter of Montana men's basketball and a proud supporter of Montana Grizzlies athletics across the board. Gary has been selling commercial and residential real estate in Missoula for more than 25 years. He has historical knowledge that matters, and when you pair that with his current marketing strategies, high-end photography, and video, Gary and his team understand that an experience counts. Give Gary Bryan and the Bryan team a call today. 406-880-4141. Mike Nugent, Mike Bryan, and Gary Bryan all understand the importance of history when it comes to the University of Montana, particularly when it comes to the men's basketball program. And so Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate is proud to present to you Grizz Greats, the coaching tree. At Berkshire Hathaway, they understand that buying and selling are huge decisions, and they always have your best interests in mind. So give them a call, Berkshire Hathaway, your local real estate experts. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again soon.